there are many ways of being part of this transition to a world without tailpipes and it doesn't mean that the only way to be part of this is a by being an expert or by being a car owner you're listening to climate curious a podcast for people who care about the world but find the current conversation about climate change confusing boring or scary Okay, Ben, here's a fundamental question for you. Do you know how to drive a car? I feel very attacked in this moment. I don't know why that is relevant to this podcast. Um, And for any potential uh, women who will be looking to date me in the future, um, I'd like to say that I am not a scrub. because a scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. But no, the answer to the question, Marion, which is very aggressive, is no, I cannot drive. Um, well, then I think you're going to love my second question. Do you know how to ride a bike? Ah, you're, you, I've trapped you because I do. Well, I don't really. I, I can. Once I rode a Boris bike through London and it was <laughs> it was one of the scariest like moments of my life. I very nearly crashed into several buses, but I can survive. I've proven it. I've evidenced it. Can you ride a bike? No, I mean this is what I this is what I was going to say. Is I'm here with you in solidarity. <laughs> I I also do not know how to drive a yes. car or ride a bike, which is why I think in some ways we're unlikely uh, unlikely people to be having this conversation. Right. Um, but but here we are. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I have to admit that I I have actually always loved cars. I know that I can't drive, mm. but um, I have this weird knack where i can actually recognize and tell you the model of any car really did you yeah not like the not the model maybe it's the make like i can tell you what like if a car is like a nissan or no way. Uh, a, a bmw from really far away did, were you like were you like super into top gear when you were little or something or did you like really like hot wheels or i don't know like how you can <laughs> i mean i i feel like i feel like i can't answer this kind of, this question <laughs> but because I, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna give people the wrong impression of me. But I can just say that before we knew that certain things were not things that we should watch because certain presenters were probably not people that we should be giving yes, airtime yes. to. I did indulge in those things <laughs> and the shows that shall not be named. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. I get um, it. <laughs> anyway, so to say that I, I, I love, I, you know, I, I, I spent my whole life loving cars, even though I don't drive. And so for me, this conversation around electric cars, electric vehicles and the climate change movement is super interesting because, you know, I'm not I love traveling. I love driving around. So it's not something that I, I want to get rid of. But I also I want to figure out how we do this right. right. So that's why, Ben, I thought we should talk to our guest this week. Should I, should I tell you a bit about Yeah, her? who's our guest this week? Okay, Monica Araya um, is her name, and her work focuses on accelerating the shift towards emissions-free transportation. And I've used quotes on that because she puts it a much better way, which is to say, a world without tailpipes. Um, She actually spoke at the TED Countdown Conference that just happened, um, and is also part of the Climate Champions team, which is very fancy and means that she's part of the lead up to COP26. Anyway, all this is like a lot of acronyms that I've now thrown at you. Yeah, so apologies. It's fine. But, but, but basically why I, I love Monica and her work and everything that she does is because 
she's actually really passionate about having this conversation in a way that doesn't require you to have a science degree. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, but I thought we should have a chat with her. Right, and that is very important because neither of us have science degrees. Do you have a science degree? I mean, does psychology count as a no, science? No, 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 that's not a real oh. one. No, I'm joking. Of course it does. Oh. Of course it that's does. A, that's, a whole, that's a whole other <laughs> It's a different that's episode. A whole other episode. We'll do that later. <laughs> well. Great. Okay. Let's get going. Okay. Hello, Monica. How are you? Hello. I am doing really well. <laughs> Very excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's it's just great to, to start this conversation with the tone you set out because normally a lot of climate-related conversations are just so difficult and painful that I just enjoy just, just hearing you guys. It's just perfect. I'm getting curious. Oh, that's nice. I... Yeah, we are. I'm incredibly curious. And I feel I feel like um, climate conversations, in my experience, often start like um, kind of on the back foot. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, especially for me, like, I feel like I start from a place of like, not knowing enough. And that makes me feel very defensive. Um, and so like, I, it's almost like I go into a conversation knowing nothing, but really wanting to argue with a person about something I have no idea about, which is super weird. Um <laughs> So, on that <laughs> that's note... A good, that's a good way to approach that. I know, well, this is just my vibe, do you know what I mean? Um, but on that note, um, tell us a little bit about your work. Well, I have had different lives, if, if you know what I mean. You know, it's not that I have done just one thing all these years, but there is one common topic, which is the fact that I, I do believe we we will be better off if we live our daily life in a cleaner environment you know if we are smart about resources if we do the best we can to have clean air and there are many other dimensions but for some reason in the last years I have become quite interested in the subject of oil and our relationship to gasoline and, and diesel and in that sense my work consists on doing everything I can to work with other people so that instead of using gasoline and diesel, we use renewable electricity for our transportation because we are already using it for our phones, for our computers, for our coffee making process. Mm. For you know, we dry our hairs with electricity and ideally with renewable electricity. So, why would you keep using oil when electricity could do the job? I could tell you many stories, but I think the main one is that, as Marion said, I think that the way to to summarize what I do is to think about a city that will not have those tailpipe exhausts, you know, or exhaust tailpipes that you call, I think in the U.S. is tailpipe. I lived there eight years, so my accent is a bit more American. But let's just call them the, the, uh, the tailpipe. <laughs> if you think about it, that's the summary of success because if we move to that world you know it's gonna smell and it's gonna taste very differently every time you go out right like every time you're on the road <laughs> every time you go go down a motorway it will it will smell so when you say tailpipe you, like for me you yeah mean like exactly pipe, right? like the thing yeah. on the bottom of a car that spits yeah. up the black stuff and right? there are okay, there cool. are i mean if somebody's listening and and that person says you know let's call her mary you know or John or Ben, you know, one cool name there. Mm -hmm. If if that person is listening and is saying to herself, but wait a second, I don't care about cars. I just love my bike. Why do I care? Well, 
fine. It's not about, we're not going to have a conversation about personal car necessarily. It's about anything that has wheels. So if you take taxis or if you buy things and they get delivered through a van, we want that van to be zero emissions. Or if you say, I don't ever want to buy a car, fine, don't buy it. But you can be part of this if you work with your community and make sure that all those buses circulating uh, are electric, you know, and are zero emissions. So there are many ways of being part of this transition to a world without tailpipes. And it doesn't mean that the only way to be part of this is A, by being an expert or by being a car owner. Mm -hmm. We have to find beautiful ways of having this conversation where it's about discovery and curiosity. That's why, again, I love your concept, as opposed to lecturing people, as opposed to making them feel bad because they love cars or because they love whatever they love. I mean, let's just get that out of the way so that we get people people as curious as possible. I love that. I just love the title of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let me ask you, mm -hmm. let me ask you some questions um, around this. Electric vehicles, right? That's what they're called, EVs. So we mm -hmm. might be using that, that, that acronym. Um, are they more than just Teslas? Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's so... <laughs> oh, that wasn't the answer yeah, that I expected. It's, it's really, really important to, to, to give us many, many stories and visuals of what electric vehicles are. For example, an electric vehicle is a bus. So those red, beautiful buses that you see in London they are an electric vehicle to the extent they use electricity and have no tailpipe, you know? They are an electric vehicle Wait, as so the well. It's not just the Tesla. Tell me, Ben. So buses in London don't actually... Do they not use... Those new buses, Ben, you know, the shiny new buses. Oh my gosh, I buses. didn't realise that. Wow, I'm such a okay. rookie in this. Let me this ask is you. ridiculous. Let me I'm ask so you something. Sorry. Let me ask you. How do you... <laughs> yeah. How do you know if you have a, two red buses in front of you or yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're on. How do you know which one is electric from, from standing there? At the side, the sound, surely. I, th I, yes. I feel like that's how I know. Like I can always tell that my Uber is electric because it hums when it like, so, drives So, up. yes. So basically if it's zero emissions, if it's electric, it's going to be silent because you don't have that internal combustion engine burning that liquid mm. that then gets out through the exhaust. So one of the big benefits, we don't talk enough about it, of, of this big switch to zero emissions options is the silence that you will get in a city. So the other way of, of thinking about it is electric vehicles that, that transport things, not just people, right? Like we tend to think of buses and cars transporting human beings, but a lot of the, the transit or a lot of the congestion we see is also because of, of trucks or a lot of the pollution comes from, from heavy, heavy duty vehicles. And, and I think in the UK, you call them lorries, lorries, which is, and then we say trucks, but I actually find that they, they are one of the big answers to this puzzle because imagine they transport um, a lot of things, food, uh, all the things we buy. So we have a lot to gain if all this tracking moves to zero emission options. It's exciting. You know that when you said uh, before about um, 
the like if I order something online, I think that's the first time that I ever thought about about uh vehicles in that way of like if if I'm somebody who doesn't drive and I only ride a bicycle which I don't (laughs) if hypothetically speaking obviously I can but if I couldn't um and I only rode a bicycle um but I was still like ordering stuff online and it was getting delivered to my house that I would still be complicit in that that's such a weird thought like I'd never ever considered that before yeah and the thing is that the way to engage with this is through in my view one way to engage with this is to focus on the things that you really care about. So, for example, um, you know, some people care a lot about their community and they care. They say, I can't engage with the whole country, but I care a lot about my city. So one way of engaging is through this, through through your municipality or your, you know, the, the government of that community or that city. So they buy fleets. They engage with mm. charging. For example, I am based in the Netherlands and they have something called zero emission zones. I think in London you have mm. ultra low emission zones. So so the point of this is that you don't necessarily need to be working on this from the perspective of carbon or climate. You can engage with this from the perspective of building community or from the perspective of technology, you know, or in the case of Mariam, she says she loves cars. So I, I, my point is, there is no one way of doing this. And, and of course, the point about Tesla is very important because it creates love and hate at the same time. So for some people, the only way to engage with this is through a Tesla angle because they love cars and they say, I love the idea of that. They would say beautiful car because it's beautiful, but it's zero emissions. And <laughs> Where they see beauty and excitement, perhaps a biker would see something completely different, would say, I see uh, I, it represents money for, and it represents an excess that I don't want in my life. I'm not going to judge you because, frankly, this is not about judging. This is about getting people to say, hey, I had a good idea. How about this? You know, and then you go and help electrify, you know, a whole fleet of uh, municipal cars or a whole fleet of taxis. Let me conclude this by saying something that is, in my view, missing in a lot of conversations. You can like many things. You don't have to just like one. So one thing that I find very rigid, at least on, in social media, is that there is this this tension between people who love bikes and some of them hate cars <laughs> and some people that are promoting the shift to EVs, you know, electric vehicles. And you see this tension and then there is this very odd way of saying, but EVs are not going to solve the problem. And he's like, OK, but nobody's saying that EVs are going to solve the problem. What we're saying is let's go to zero emissions and let's have options. And I, for example, love my bike here in Amsterdam. I love it. I also love electric cars and I also love buses and I also love trucks. So it's not like if you like one, you have to hate the other. I absolutely agree. I think, Monica, it's interesting in London, you know, for a long time, you had bikers pitted against drivers, pitted against pedestrians. It became a moral argument on everyone's side. And actually, it's such a distraction. Like, and we don't have time for that kind of stuff. And and so actually, I, I, you know, I've gotten this chance to work with you before. So I realize that there are these really, these common myths that are really, really pervasive. And so I wanted to just go through like 
three of them that I think would be really cool. The first one is something that you like alluded to it in something you said earlier, and I wanted to come back to it. So you said, I know that my, my Uber is electric because it hums. And I was like, yeah, but you're talking about a, a car that begins with the name P. I don't know if we can say it, but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. that's, a, that's a hybrid. So that's my first question for you. Oh, is Martha, that not is, electric? Okay, no, is, that's the question. Is our hybrid, are hybrids and electrics the same thing? This is very, very important because, and, and it's pretty universal. So there was, just to give you a sense of how, how pervasive this is, uh, there was a survey in Brazil, a big country, and they asked people, what do you think when you hear the word electric car? And they say, Tesla and Prius. <laughs> Which is really interesting because, well, Tesla is for obvious reasons. Elon Musk is, is a very visible uh, person in, in, in a lot of debates. So that's, that, that's pretty normal. But the thing about Prius is really tricky because at the end of the day, Prius or the hybrids, where, I mean, first of all, I think they are part of the past. So let's just say that and I'll say why. But basically it's a car that is extremely efficient in how it burns gasoline and diesel, right? So it's about oh. efficiency. So that was great. And at the time, especially in the US, it created this visual of the kind of green person that doesn't want to consume expensive cars. You buy a Prius. You do your part. And it's very interesting. The U.S. has lagged so behind in the last years that a lot of my very good friends there that are that see themselves as green, they they still say things like, yeah, yeah, OK, you're you're oh, you're working on on things like, you know, with the Priuses. Right. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you please read, <laughs> please read. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the, the bigger point is this. The bigger point is that we can also think about the difference between incremental change and transformational change. I'm old enough to remember life without a, a, a smartphone. We have seen a transformational change. And, and, and if you had a fax company and you went through that change, you probably lost because you went through something else. So the same is happening to some degree to companies that were too stuck with hybrids that now that is the time to leapfrog into zero emissions uh, for fleets, they are resisting at it. Right. Because this, this for me is like, I, I genuinely did not know that. Like, I didn't realise that my Uber wasn't, <laughs> that it wasn't an, an electric car. I thought it was because of the noise that it made and it feels like super smooth. Um, but, so it burns, it, those cars, like hybrids, burn diesel more efficiently. And so is diesel a bad thing because i thought that diesel was like it sounds like we're saying it's bad but i thought that diesel was like much much better than petrol or like that was like that was the future and that was like the direction we were supposed to be moving in and like my dad used to get really annoyed when we used to go to the petrol station he had to use a different pump and whatever like i thought that that was progress so am i like am i wrong there is that, is that are we not doing the right thing <laughs> it is really really important to talk about diesel because breathing diesel will make people very ill and if you look oh, yeah. at if you google diesel world health organization mm -hmm. you will find that the world health organization has determined that diesel is a 
how do you say this in English, carcinogenic, that it gives you cancer. Yeah. And many in the auto industry tried to, for years, try to block that. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of the tobacco industry when they said, you know, that that smoking was not that bad. So so the point in about diesel is that you're very right. For a while, for many, actually for quite a few years, the narrative was, well, you know, since you have to use gasoline or diesel, you might as well choose diesel because it's cleaner. And over the years... Right much to much to the you know over the years we have discovered through science that that was not true first it was dirtier than we thought in terms of the pollution it creates the harm it does to the quality of our air and two and here is the tricky part there was a big scandal you might recall Again, Google, if you say go to Google and put Dieselgate, <laughs> uh, there was a second dimension to this problem, which was that when when the you know, environmental authorities in California were testing the cars, um, the diesel cars, they discovered that some companies had put a device that basically allowed that car to come across as cleaner during the tests. But then it would activate for like, say, 20 minutes, which is the time of, of the test. And, and it has cr created a lot of tensions between, for example, the German public and German companies because they feel that so the trust was broken. So, 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 but let's look at opportunities. I do believe that the scandal around diesel has put the industry, most of them, in a better place because now Volkswagen, which was at the center of this scandal, uh, has has become the company that is out there saying, yeah, we shouldn't have done this, but it's not just about an apology. We're moving to an electric era. So that didn't happen many years ago. And now they're saying, OK, that's so 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 diesel is not good. Diesel, <laughs> diesel, diesel is, bad. is very that's bad. Sure. Yes, <laughs> diesel is bad. Don't, Don't breathe. breathe no. That's not good no. for you. Um, so we, so Volkswagen like, is a good example, it sounds like, are moving towards electric cars as the future or electric vehicles as the future. Yeah, but also the, um, the regulation in the, in the European Union, uh, I, I, I would argue, and I think many people who work with regulations agree that it's a mix of things. You know, on the one hand, you have this, this in terms of the culture and in terms of the public opinion discussion, that was a big part of the of the breakthrough that electric vehicles had because at the end of the day it's about getting rid of the internal combustion engine that you have in these cars and say instead of using liquids we're going to use renewable electricity so there was that from the perspective of the public saying well at least we have another option but at the same time you you have people fighting in 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 places like brussels and Meaning, you know, they, they need to make sure they lobby for for stricter regulations for the whole car industry so that what they do is not just volunteer, is you know, volunteer actions. So so the European Union has very strict 
CO2 regulations that are missing in the US. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, wonder <laughs> no, so strange. Why would the US not have strict regulations, you know, on, on, on pollution? And and basically the US is falling behind, with the exception of Tesla, the US right now is falling behind because they don't have that kind of regulatory push at the federal level. However, good news, mm. I always like to point to good news. California has always been a very important exception. And a few a few weeks ago, literally, they passed a very important rule, which is uh, starting 2035, they will not allow any sales of petrol and diesel cars. And 15 states in the US are going to follow suit and they have historically been at the forefront of this so being the equivalent of the 10th largest economy in the world that's a very powerful signal and the UK is is going to have an announcement saying something similar in the next week so mm. I, I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger really makes all of the difference <laughs> I, mean, I feel like that is the, the core that is really the, the core of what yeah, we're saying yeah, the diesel here yeah. he's terminated we need diesel carbon yeah, emissions yeah no I, I, he, he's <laughs> He's a really interesting case of a person who was who went from having several. Do you remember the Hammer, the that 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 big car? Yeah, the the, the Hammer. Oh, yeah, the yeah, Hummer. yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, had, yeah. I think, at least seven in his family, in his, you know, which is is an, oh my God. It's, it's ridiculous. He went from being that guy to to being a guy that is totally into electric and and pro climate. So yeah. it's it is interesting. A beacon of change for all of us. <laughs> Thank you, Arnold. <laughs> so, not where I expected us to be going today, but I love it. Um, okay, so, so Monica, we're seeing this shift in regulation um, and we're seeing this shift in kind of businesses deciding to, to go in this direction as well. Um, and, and let's say you are living in California. You know, are you going to be afraid that you're not going to be able to afford a car soon because I'm that's the that's the third thing that you kind of hear about electric vehicles and and you know when you look at the cost of a Tesla for example it is a luxury car it's on that range so you know are 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 we going to be priced out of being able to to get cars yeah that's a very important question because the okay the short answer is the prices keep going down and the good news is that by 2025, which is around the corner, structurally speaking, the price of electric vehicles, buses, vehicles, you know, as vans or, or cars for personal use or fleets are expected to be at the same price, at the same level as their gas and, and diesel um, equivalent. So that's 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 called price parity so basically the other thing that has happened <laughs> is that china got into this game and china as you know is the largest market for cars in the planet and right. they missed the the whole car revolution in the 20th century you know it was basically german cars european cars and some american mm -hmm. cars not chinese cars and this century they said well guys here we come we're going to have they call it new energy vehicles and and the the chinese have decided they want to conquer this market so when you look at for example i'll give you a number you won't believe they decided to for example produce electric buses 
So right now, China has 420,000 electric buses versus mm. around 3,000 electric buses in Europe and about 600 electric buses in the U.S. Let's just continue. Let's repeat it. 420,000 electric buses in China versus 3,000 electric buses in Europe versus 600 electric buses in the U.S. Question for you. Wow. How many buses do you think Santiago de Chile has? 455. So that tells you that something is going on and is the price. The price is going down because basically these electric buses coming from China are cheaper. So they are a game changer right. for a lot of countries that used to think that they could never afford an electric bus. Or cars is the same, it's going down. This is it's a weird, really weird tangent to go on, but this is what it makes me think of. So during lockdown, I was watching this um, documentary on Formula One on Netflix, and I really had no interest in Formula One until I watched this documentary, and now I like absolutely love it, and it's one of my like guilty pleasures, I guess, in a weird way because I think it's a terrible industry, <laughs> but um, like <laughs> like it's horrible, but it's also great because they go really fast. Um, but in terms of like what happens to Formula One in terms of if if we're moving away from uh, gas and diesel and towards electric, um, and and all of like that surely like changes an industry and like Formula One obviously is like very niche, but in terms of industry in general, um, in in terms of like motor vehicles and and developing them, surely I I think this is one of my big issues with climate change conversations is that it feels like the the future is really bright um, and, the, and there's this great thing, but for that to happen and for that to change, like you mentioned earlier in terms of the, the transformation that we've lived through, like all of the people who owned fax companies and who worked in fax companies lost their jobs, right? Like they, they just don't exist anymore. So what happens to all of those people who work within those industries now? Like where do, where do they go? Because surely that's like maybe like some kind of an equity issue also in terms of like the people who work in those industries by and large are not the people who make loads of money from those industries so what happens to those individuals okay so let's first get formula one out of the way <laughs> yeah, <sorry. laughs> let's do it let's, let's do it yeah so so i'll i'll say something very concrete about that which is that there is something called formula e which is super amazing. Oh. And you need to, if you like Formula One, you're going to love Formula E. And what is really cool about that yeah. is that for people who love races, um, what is really cool about that is that a lot of the, the, the guys from Formula E are shifting to, sorry, from Formula One are shifting to Formula E. Last, last oh, week, cool. literally last week, Honda left Formula One saying, guys, sorry, but the future what? is electric. So, yeah, Google really? it too. Um, so, so. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no way. I mean, I think Formula E might have a new fan. Yeah, well, it definitely does. Honda's left. I can't believe, if you know how invested I You're was shook. in this documentary. I'm rattled deeply. I've got like excitement veins in my forehead. Okay, right but, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> ignore the question. Uh, the very important question you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I actually, before we get into, into car manufacturing, I actually think that 
there is a story by a woman who has the most incredible name. Um, she, her, <laughs> well, her last name is Popcorn, which is kind of unusual. But anyway, she's um, she's a futurist, and her story was in a you know the Economist, you know this this very important publication, and she was an advisor to Kodak in in the nineties or even before. And Kodak was already thinking about the digital transition and they asked her to do a report, internal report about the future of photography. And she basically finished her report, went to the board of Kodak and said, the future is digital, it's not paper. It's, you know, paper photography is, is coming to an end of a cycle, so we need to. And she was fired. <laughs> uh, and there was this idea that yeah, we didn't hire you to talk about digital photography. We hired you to tell us about the future of, of our of what we do. So my point with this is that things will change. It doesn't. It's not just electric cars or electric buses. It's it's a constant. You know, you will go from certain industries to another, from faxes to to smartphones, and that is why it's very important to to choose between chaotic change versus some managed change or managed transitions. And one of the big right. words that we should be using in these discussions is that we need to make sure that this transition is actually managed and is fair. And, 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 and the fairness part of this has to be very important, but it's also about transition. In other words, it's not we, we can't afford to get caught up into debates where the whole point is about why we cannot change. So, so in other words, the important conversation right now in the auto industry is about how to adapt, how to reskill the workers, how to retrain, and what to do with the reality of this change. And that is important because if you don't have this open discussion, it's just very scary, right? If you if you're just left on your own and you are told that this is going, you know, we're not going to manufacture. Uh, internal combustion engines anymore and your job is going to be lost and that's the only thing you hear obviously you're going to oppose this and my point is that mm -hmm. countries that are taking this seriously also have calendars you know it's not like this is going to end on monday and every country at the same right. you know it's not like the internal combustion engine is going to end next week at 3 p.m everybody at the same time zero emission you know it's not it's never like that but we know from california that they are sending a signal. It's going to end in 2035. No more sales of this in this market, and it's probably going to be bigger than California. So this is already a signal that you have 15 years for the auto industry to adapt. And what they cannot mm. afford to do is to not start thinking about this with their workers. So in, in Germany, for example, which is the most iconic country when it comes to internal combustion engines, there is no secret about the fact that a certain generation of engineers pretty much hate the transition. You know, they just pretty right. much say, this is, this is unacceptable. This is what we do well. Why do we have to change? But the younger ones are excited. And, and my point is every single country should be prepared so so i wouldn't i would probably if i had all these workers in front of me i would encourage them to 
ask the question of how they can be part of this as opposed to getting too caught up into my job has to survive no matter what. Um, and I don't know how the conversation is going in the UK, but I know that in Germany they are starting to engage the workers given that they no longer deny that this is going to happen. So so car car manufacturers essentially need to become B Corps with a commitment to fairness. Look at me, I'm learning so much. I feel like I've made my first real link here and this is really good. Look at the growth. That's that's so interesting. I guess, you know, it makes me think that there's a reason these workers are feeling nervous, right? Like, historically, they have not been looked after. And they look at their predecessors and call, right? And they say, whole towns shut down. Whole generations of people were just left by the wayside. And so I don't want that to happen to me. And I, and I get, I mean, I kind of get that feeling of, of it. It's almost like you need the car manufacturers to step up. You need the governments to step up. And I can imagine that in, in Germany, where you have more of a social state, where you have more of that, you know, free education and the ability to retrain and all of that, that there are recourse to it. But I can imagine that in the US, it, in like Detroit, for example, it must be terrifying because you've got nothing. The government is not there to support you or help you in any way. And so I can... I can I can see that. And yet, like you said, what I really took from that Kodak story, which I absolutely love, is it doesn't matter if Kodak wanted to or didn't want to hear about digital. It was going to happen anyway. It's very important to create spaces where these workers participate. So in other words, it cannot be conversations just between governments and 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 companies even though they these are that's very important too because they probably is a big political negotiation of when you end, you know, the manufacturing of these cars and trucks and, and buses. But at the same time, you have to engage them otherwise in the end it's not going to work or it's going to be very painful. So there is that kind of structural thing that every government and industry will have to do and as you said uh, Maria, it depends really on the country. But at the same time, because we're not politicians, you know, we're not in government making these decisions. In my experience, that human connection is has to come at the at the very forefront of this. And my the words I, I like to use is that you you have to give people space to shift with dignity. You know what I mean? It's it's a human being and it's a livelihood and it's a person who is probably lovely and has children, you know, they just happen to work in the oil and gas industry or they produce the internal combustion engine. The problem is not that person, you know, the problem is that the combustion engine will create exhaust um, and toxic fumes that are going to kill children. So, so it's about separating and the technology that is a problem from a scientific perspective from that human being you know there is no escaping from this i don't think and i just want to ask one more question around this equity issue because we mentioned that we've mentioned it from a jobs point of view but there's there's something else here right is that if we look at because you know we, we have a, with this podcast we want to have this perspective of cities right like when we look at cities and we look at uh, areas where you're seeing the highest, like, you know, like big motorways, whether it's the North Circular, the South Circular, wherever it is, you know, with massive trucks, you know, 
I'm assuming, Malika, that these are not in like the nice posh parts of town, right? Like, is there another equity issue here? Yeah, totally. And I think that is the core of the matter. I think, as as we said before, there is the just transition element to it. And there is also a bigger question because it affects millions of people. I mean, if you look around the world, nine out of 10 people do not breathe clean air, period. There is no denying that. And the most vulnerable are children. And the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable are children in low-income communities. And if you go country by country, and if you look at those low-income neighborhoods, you would find many other elements to it that create the the most unfair picture that you can imagine. So, for example, in California, again, the equivalent of the 10th largest economy in the world, they have mapped pollution, air pollution in particular, and they have mapped these these low-income communities and often it's basically minorities too. From the years, a lot of people who, you know, first or second or third generation immigrants and they have less access to decision making so when when a lot of these trucks for example pass by neighborhoods imagine the noise imagine the pollution they they leave behind and now that california has also had has decided to to rule um to to set up a rule to clean up uh, trucks one of the numbers that came out just I will never forget that. Basically, there are communities in California where the 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 citizens of those communities have measured 1,200 trucks, diesel trucks, passing by every single hour. So if you think about what that does to you from a noise perspective, from your breathing perspective, from a quality of life perspective, it's not fair. <laughs> and and uh, again, you know, it can get really tragic and it can get really, you can get really down. But that, you know, if you really want to, to, to look for light at the end of the tunnel, what worked in that particular case was a coalition. And the coalition was not just about climate. It had climate elements, of course, because you, you need to reduce carbon emissions. But the core of that coalition was also justice and it was a mix of people from the community and my lesson from from california to for people who are listening is that people can make a big difference in in this case somebody called mary nichols who is this fantastic woman in who's about to retire she's a grandma um she is the woman who leads an office in california that deals with clean air you know is the, her that's her job and she went for it with this coalition and they basically said to the industry look we're going to create a market for you because now by 2035 at least half of the trucks in california will have to be zero emissions and honestly hats off to mary nichols and that coalition because they set us an example for the world is the first time that a place that big has a regulation that says we're not going to let this happen anymore it's possible. Mm-hmm. I, do you know what I? Th- I think that I think that this conversation is so important, um, because I think I think what it's done really nicely is it's painted a really like important picture for me about the way that we or the ways that we talk about 
these issues like I, I feel like it's it's so well-rounded in that like we started with this idea of like the, the dream of like a better future and like a cool a cooler future for kids and like people being able to access things that they love and things that they believe in and things that they want to experience but then also came back to this idea and, and I think it's really important that we stay grounded in this idea of like justice um and equity um, and what and what it looks like to, for the world to be a fairer place um, for everybody that lives here. And I, I think that that's a really beautiful conversation for us to have. It also leads us really nicely to like the last section um, of the podcast. And one of the one of the questions that I want to ask you is, um, let's say uh, everything that we're talking about goes as planned um, and the, the rest of the world follows suit. Everybody starts to operate like California um in in the next couple of years what does let's say 10 years what does the world that we're living in look like then i think in 10 years when we succeed i don't want to say if but i want to say when we succeed <laughs> right. at least in many places maybe not in all places i think the main way of noticing the change will be in your everyday life because you will be in a place like say bogota you know, the capital of Colombia. And the main thing you will notice is that is the change in how the city smells. We have got, we got used to pollution. We normalized it. And I think the, the tailpipe is, is that symbol of, of those terrible habits that we have and that we get used to. So, so just close your eyes and just think about the fact that you will have motorbikes, you will have cars, you will have taxis, you will have trucks passing by. And that smell that now feels normal is not going to be there. So I think we have to remember that at the end of the day, much of this, this change is going to be very concrete in the benefits it brings for us, you know, so it's, it's, it's good for the climate, of course, it's, we need to lower carbon emissions from a global perspective, but from an everyday life perspective, this has lots of benefits. The other thing is that the sound of the city will be very different. I increase, because I pay attention to noise, I increasingly pay attention to how much noise there is in the streets, especially like this loud trucks. And once you start paying attention, try to do it this week. You know, every time you go in the street, try to listen and say, why did, when did, when did it happen that we thought this was normal, you know? So, so that combination of cleaner air and, and quieter roads is something that I would like people to think about because it is, to some extent, you know, it is about, th this will succeed to the, to the extent that people say, this is, the smarter thing to do. And I, I will insist, given that there is so much division in, in every country, even in Costa Rica, where I come from, a small country of 5 million people, everybody like fighting, fighting, fighting. I find that having discussions that are about what's the right thing to do, you know, and I'll tell you what the right thing to do is, you know, that, that kind of discussion, I understand where they come from, but I don't think it works. I think we should lower down a little bit this discussion of the right thing versus the wrong thing and say, what's the smartest thing to do? Honestly, like what's the smartest thing that this city could do? And, and then bring people on board based on on those really smart things that we can do. We have the technologies right now that the, the barrier is not the technology. Amazing. 
I mean, you know, you know what it made me think of, Monica, actually? And, and Ben, I, I don't know if you're too young to this. <laughs> we'll see. Well, we'll find, find out. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So do you remember, this is such a, this is such a bizarre analogy for me, but it's like, it just popped into my head. You remember, I remember going out in university, out dancing and clubbing in the evening, and you come back and you, you know, you smell pretty bad, but, you know, be like, whatever. And then I remember when they put in the smoking ban and you come back after a night out and you we smell your hair and you think, oh, it doesn't smell like disgusting anymore. And it was like, it was something that you didn't notice. I didn't, you know, I, I noticed the griminess, but it, it, you know, it was kind of part of the deal mm. before. And now if you go somewhere and you get that smell again, which is very, very rare. You notice it right away, and you're like, "Oh, how did, how did we ever live like this?" So it's, it's, it's that moment of you know, it, I, Monica, I know you've used it before as well. It's like smoking on airplanes. You know, how did we ever allow? And that's that how to you happen? and I met. We met through that conversation, but yes. it's so true that what you're saying is so true, Ben. Do you? Did, did you ever go to a place? <laughs> no. I was like playing with Beyblades when when that was happening. I don't, rem I don't remember a smoking ban at all. I know it happened. I may have studied it in history. Oh, my no, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Monica, last, let's, get to, let's get to our second to last bit or our last question of this segment. Um, if people have listened to this episode and they feel really motivated by what you're saying what is one thing that they can do oh that's very important so there are different different things you can do so one is if you well if you don't have a car totally fine you could work trying to electrify the buses of your community to so finding out who makes that decision and, and working through a local organization usually is very good i my advice is is always to look for allies and work with others as opposed to try to do that by yourself. You know, if you want to write a letter, great, but it's always better to work with, with an NGO. If you do have a car, uh, if you want to change it at some point, um, there, are, there are many options. There will be increasing options. So that is also a, a way of being part of this, you know, by saying, okay, I can actually switch to zero emissions. How do I do that? If you don't want to do that, you could also join, for example, or support organizations that are working towards zero emissions. So there are increasingly many NGOs, uh, electric mobility associations, uh, citizen to, to citizen discussion is it has been very important in many countries. Another way of supporting this is by having conversations with family members and others who who are skeptical and then, you know, get them to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this. Do you know what? That is that is uh, so important. And what I think I really appreciate and what I imagine our listeners will also really appreciate is that there are um, really practical steps, like even down to just if you've listened to this podcast, like let somebody else, like share this podcast with somebody else. Um, because I think sometimes it feels so overwhelming, like to know what to do, like in the conversation, especially like a conversation around um, electric buses and, and electric cars and Formula One and Arnold Schwarzenegger, like how do you know where you're supposed to go? Um, but, but that, 
organizing um like in your local community trying to change stuff on a local level um having conversations i would say is always like a major major thing so thank you so much for sharing that and we are gonna go into our last little segment which is climate confessions and now it's time for our climate confessions let's fess up to the bad habits we just can't This segment is called Climate Confessions. And basically, this is a place where we all get to just get a little bit honest about how we're not maybe perfect when it comes to our sustainable or environmental decisions um, and behavior. So this week, Ben, do you want to start? I I will. And I've got a really easy one because I didn't know this before, but my climate confession evidently is that I continuously use Ubers when they are hybrids and not flipping electric cars and i didn't even know um so maybe i've got to start thinking of more creative ways to get around that are um less polluting or pollutantish. i don't know what the word is but do less damage burn less diesel or petrol or fuel um but that is that is like a, a really practical one that came up for me just now because i had no idea about that so thank you for sharing that um mariam do you want to go sure so Mine is that I have been known in the past to take a flight just for the points. Savage. However, (laughs) however, (laughs) however, given that now I've basically had to go cold turkey for seven months on flying, I feel like going forward, I can make better decisions. Yeah. (laughs) Here's to hoping. (laughs) Yeah, I think... yeah, no, I... I right, um, Monica. Well, two things. One is that I am living in, in Amsterdam and my family is in Costa Rica. So I've been thinking a lot about flying and, and you know, the, the, the carbon footprint. So my decision is to reduce all my work-related travel to pretty much zero so I can just do everything by Zoom and then and then save all my carbon solution for that one trip that uh, is very important for me for personal reasons so so one point I want to make is that I have not come to a point where I can say I'm not gonna fly ever again in my life which is what some people are saying because the older families probably are in the same country um, so there is that but I think I think that's not what I struggle with the most because because somehow I think I have found a, a way out of that. I do confess that even though even though I have tried my best to to conceptualize the notion that I have already bought all the clothes that I need for the rest of not my life but for a certain period of time and I don't have that many but I have enough I still struggle when I see a nice blouse for example and I notice how even though my objective rational database part of the brain is like yep you do not need an orange shirt and the other brain is like oh yes that shirt the orange is happy it's something that is fun and you know and look at this look at that so my i i the interesting thing is that i can i can actually see the two brains going like into this this battle and sometimes one part of the brain wins and I just walk out and say, no, I don't need it. But I have to confess it. And I, why not? You know, I'm human. Everybody's human, I hope. Um, 
yeah sometimes i just go for it and then i feel really guilty afterwards <laughs> but i don't do fast fashion i don't do fast fashion anymore this this has been a very therapeutic <laughs> confessional actually yeah. I, I I did not think I was going to tell you all about that when it came to flying, but I decided to, I decided to be really, really honest. Um, well, Monica, it's been a pleasure Likewise. speaking to you. I mean, I just I'm I love this conversation. I thought it was I think it's amazing. I hope everyone listening enjoys it as much as we did. Ben, what do, what do, do you? Have have we moved you further in the optimism? Yeah, scale? yeah. I did. Do you know what? I really didn't expect to be moved, but I have been. I think um, Formula E really <laughs> did it for me, to be honest. Who would have thought? <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like that has changed my mind completely on this issue. I'll uh, I'll wait when when social distancing is over. We'll go to a party yes. Formula E together. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. I will. Yeah, you'll take come a train well. from good. Amsterdam to London. Yes, not the train. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Especially not for the queen. All right. <laughs> oh, all Thank right. you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, please rate and subscribe and share the episode with a curious friend. Join the conversation on socials using the hashtag ClimateCuriousPod and let us know what you want to hear about next time. You can find us online at TEDx London. This podcast was made possible by TEDx London's headline partner, City. City is all about progress and supporting great ideas. And for the past five years, they've supported us to bring world-changing ideas to the TEDx London stage. Now they're taking it to the next level by supporting this new podcast. Thanks, City. This episode was produced by Josie Coulter. Curation and research by Tara Cooper. Engineered and mixed by Ben Beheshti. Artwork designed by Sabrina Russo and Rebecca Mingus. Music composed by Ben the Falcon Beheshti presented by Marion Pasha and Ben Hurst.